You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Uh, I want to read that one more time. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. That's one line from one song written as a psalm in one chapter of one book, of one testament in uh, the thing that we call this Holy Bible. Uh, it sort of helps us navigate what's going on here today as we close up this series. So I'm going to pray, and then we will jump in and, and get rolling. Father, thank you for your word. And uh, I am weak. I'm incapable of making you known. But by your power and by your spirit, would you let my words today bring clarity to who you are and and God, I know that we get to struggle through what it looks like, that you are sovereign Lord over all. <clears throat> I know that it isn't easy to understand in concept, but by your spirit we can see. And uh, I just ask today that you would let us walk and search and, and seek humbly and that you would reveal clearly your nature and who you are, that, that we might look more like you, that we might be humbled in our humanity, that we might be esteemed in your glory by the work of your Son and the power of your Spirit. We love you and we need you in Jesus' name. Amen. Person, people, families, clans, villages, towns, cities, shires, counties, States, countries, provinces, civilizations, nations, and empires. Heads of household, matriarchs, patriarchs, town councils, city managers, mayors, governors, senators, presidents, dictators, emperors, the ruling and the ruler, the king and kingdom. From the beginning, of all that has been, humanity has sought, has benefited from, has died for, has fought, has rebelled against, and died at the hand of, of human governance, of rulers, of authorities of the earth. History often calls these men and, and women who conquer and reign on a mass scale Great. Maybe you've heard of some of them, Akbar the Great, and Alfred the Great, and Ashok the Great, and Catherine the Great, and, and Charlemagne, or Charles the Great, Darius and Cyrus, maybe most famous of all, Alexander the Great. But my guess is most people who were conquered by them would not call them great at all. <clears throat> the pride of life and, and the thirst for dominance and the fear of an enemy and the illusion of sovereign rule, they all give way to evil dominance. There is this show that when I watch it, 
my wife in particular, she comes in and she rolls her eyes and my kids say, Dad, you're old and this is whatever, right? It was made in the late 1950s and the early 1960s. It's called The Twilight Zone, right? And in one episode of The Twilight Zone, there are these two guys. The Twilight Zone is some weird overlap of creepy and uh, kind of ironic and, and other things. And so this one episode, these two guys, they land on this foreign planet. And uh, those are the best ones, by the way. And, and one of them is clearly the captain of this broken spacecraft, and the other one he doesn't like being told what to do, so he doesn't receive orders very well. And we kind of see that play out early on. And, and then the guy who's the captain, he's like, so what's your, what's your game, man? What's your play? And he said, man, you know, I want to be the one with people on my arms. I want to be the one in control. I want to be the one calling the shots. Well, days go by, and we finally find out that this dude, in his adventures, when he's not working on the spacecraft, to get it fixed and to get ready to go. He, he has found this civilization, this entire civilization of tiny people, right? This big, right? By like, like four feet by four feet. And he, and he sees them and he begins to interact with them and, and they're tiny. And, and in the cut scenes, the terrible editing and all this stuff, like, they're like, what is this? And they zoom in on like a little tractor trailer, a little truck in, in the guy's hand, right? And, and like, oh, it's the people there, you know? And, and so then he begins to dominate them. He demands that they make a statue in his image, and he just loves it, and he's like slowly losing his mind because he's getting what he always desired, the control, the sovereign rule of these tiny people. Um, the, the other guy, the captain, he says, well, the spaceship's done, let's get out of here, and, and long story short, he says, no, you get out of here, and he has a gun, and, and he, the other guy flies away, and so he's there to rule and reign his tiny little people uh, for all of his days. Well, very shortly after, after he's telling them all that they're going to do and he's going to discipline them to keep them in order and all of his, his power and his pride is just rising up, <clears throat> there's a, a noise in a, in a spacecraft. Another spacecraft lands. And suddenly you see these, uh, these two giants, right? And they're standing over him and he just starts like, no, go away. And, and he starts screaming, I'm the God, I'm the God. And one of them says, what's that? And he picks it up. And he, and he says, oh, it looks like a tiny human. And he said, well, you've, you've crushed him. And he said, well, I didn't mean to. Uh, but we're not here to, to explore. We need to fix our spacecraft. And he throws him on the ground. He's dead. That, that little twilight zone insight, it, it gives us access into a window in, into the human heart with with a sovereign rule, we allow our authority to express not what's good for the universe, not universal good, but, but what's good for us. And last week we talked about power. We talked about the game Simon Says and how like when you give that to, to some young ruler that we call Simon, that it, that it just it wells up in them the idea that they want to rule. We, we want to rule, but, but when we have sovereign rule, it usually doesn't go well, but, but rest assured today, with all that's going on around us and inside of us, the rightful king rules and reigns over all things, all the time, for all time. The rightful king rules and reigns over all things, all the time, for all time, and there is no truth more foundational, no truth more important, more, more controversial, or more dear to us 
One says it this way. Uh, as R.C. Sproul notes, if there is one single molecule in this universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that a single promise of God will ever be fulfilled. There are no limits on what he controls. Thus, whatever he wills, he does. He is completely free to act according to what he decrees. He requires permission from no one because he needs nothing from anyone. He knows all things. He is everywhere present and holds all the power. No one exists who can possibly trump or challenge his plans. His limitlessness in every area points to his sovereignty over all things. Nothing can hinder him or compel him or stop him. He is able to do as he pleases, always, everywhere, forever. Or as Job put it, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That word means stopped. I know that you can do all things and, and no purpose of yours can be slowed down or stopped. We are at this kind of climax, this uh, he is number 10. And if you've been tracking with us, uh, last week we looked at God of infinite power, and today we look at, at God as sovereign, the God of infinite rule. And we saw last week that, that God has all the power to do as he pleases, and today we see that he, in fact, does. He does what pleases his will. And, and if you've been with us for a long period of time, you would know that this series he is, is looking at the, the incommunicable attributes of God, the, the attributes that God has that he shares that we do not share. We are not omniscient and we are not self-sufficient and, and all of these things. But last year at this time, we did 10 attributes that God shared with us, the communicable attributes, that he is good and that he is kind and that he is just, that we get to also be those things. So, so today, we, we've journeyed 19 prior attributes and we must wade into this one with all those others in mind. That's why we saved it till the end. We get to look at who this God is, that, that he is sovereign. He is a supreme ruler, uh, possessing supreme or ultimate power on full display as well. So, Psalm 103, 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. And I think many who are in Christ, who, who claim to be sons and daughters of this, this king that we read about in Scripture, who would say absolutely, that the Lord establishes his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. But the question that, that we get drawn into is what exactly does the psalmist mean by all, right? And this gets really dicey and theologians uh, debate about a lot, of, uh, a lot of things, but I think we can look at this in three chunks that help us digest a little bit. The first one is this. God is sovereign over creation. He is sovereign over creation. Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, this is a classic that many of us have read many, many, many times with our children, and basically all of the stories in this book. It, it's taken from scripture, but, but it points us to how Jesus satisfies all of the promises of God. And so this is what we see about the beginning, that God is sovereign over creation. In the beginning, there was nothing, nothing to hear, 
nothing to feel, nothing to see, only emptiness and darkness and nothing but nothing. But God was there, and God had a wonderful plan. I'll take this emptiness, God said, and I'll fill it up. Out of the darkness, I'm going to make light. And out of the nothing, I'm going to make everything. Like a mommy bird flutters her wings over her eggs to help her babies hatch, God hovered over the deep, silent darkness. He was making life happen. God spoke, that's all, and whatever he said, it happened. God spoke, that's all, and whatever he said, it happened. See, God preceded the beginning of all that is. God preceded the beginning of all that is, and by him, and through him, and and for him all things exist. Many of us know the, the opening line to the Bible. In the beginning, God, what did he do? He, he created the heavens and the earth. So, so all that is in the beginning, God established. right? And then we read on, and, and, and Paul tells the church uh, in, in Colossians chapter 1, For by him... All things were created, and he's telling us that Jesus did this, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. That's that's everything. And and these things that are visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Man, there was a lot of stuff in there. But just imagine for a second if you believe that to be true. That that God made all things. And all things were created through him and and for him. And he holds all things together. What this tells us is that God specifically creates all that exists. He spoke, that's all, and whatever he said happened. He's not a passive passive contributor, right? He's not like a a co-writer. He's not like a producer or or a a roadie or a stagehand or a studio musician helping things along. He is the sovereign author of the song of creation, of, of all that is, birds and bees and clouds and rivers, and sunsets, and black holes, and and the aurora borealis, right? The northern lights, and Mount Everest, the the grandest of mountains, and the Grand Canyon, the the grandest of valleys, and gamma rays, and microwaves, and x-rays, and marriage, and family vacations, and government, and puppies, and pet goldfish. All that is math and gravity, and chameleons, and lightning bugs, and and rocket science, and the scientific method, and and quantum particles, and sports, and reality TV, and good stories, and board games, and fine cuisine, and the best appetizers you've ever eaten, and friendship, and microprocessors that give us video games. God is sovereign over all creation. In his book, Attributes of God, Sam Storms, he he teases out the span of God's sovereign rule in the scriptures. Look, let me pause for a second. The rest of this sermon is going to feel a lot like this. Okay? If you're like, whoa, can you just for one second 
I'm just not going to. All right, this is the one second. Okay, I'm going to say a lot of things, and they might feel lofty, and you're like, wait, oh, just, right? That's why we have community groups, right? You get to take all of this. I can share my notes with you. You can, you know, search the scriptures or whatever, and this week, you can, uh, you can open up this book in your life and, heck, my sermon notes if you want, and you can talk through this stuff, all right? But, but it's lofty, and so I'm, I don't apologize for that today, all right? So Sam Storms, in his book, Attributes of God, he opens up the scriptures, and he, and he just gives us a load of scenarios in which God rules and reigns. And this is what he says. He says, from the scripture, nature and weather, kings and nations, people and their hearts, the opening and the closing of the womb over everything, including evil in general, over life and death, over destructive animals. All these things come from the scriptures. And then he says the divine sovereignty just in the book of Proverbs over all of our actions and our words, over the destiny of the wicked, over the casting of the lot, which is like uh, the rolling of the dice maybe, the heart of the king, the battle and its outcome over our souls. Nothing is outside of God's hand. He has created all that exists. He hasn't created all that has not existed. Jeremiah says it this way in chapter 14. Are there any among the false gods of the nations that can bring rain? Or can the heavens give showers? Are you not he, O Lord our God? We set our hope on you, for you do all these things. Among the false gods, can any open the heavens that rain might fall? None. God, but you alone, you do all these things. This matters to us. It matters to you and it matters to me because we forget. We forget that God is the God of all creation. That he is God over creation. That he is sovereign over creation. This life is not the sum of accidents. Nothing in this life is. It is not... um, It is not established by fate. It is not established by chance or luck or the zodiac or or good vibes or karma or, or blind random outcomes. God sets the created order in place and he establishes all that is. Now, I I know that that takes some humbling and that takes some submission. And that takes some wrestling. What you mean? But, but if it's true, then we can trust all of the scriptures, including the one that says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Right, we like to hang out there because we're like, there it is. I had a bad day, but hey, things are working together for my good. And I would say, I don't think that's what that says. And it certainly, it certainly means that. But when we read on, look at what it says. All things work together for good for those who are called according to 
his purpose. That means that at times, and we've looked at countless times through the series, at times there will be things that happen, often there will be things that happen, and then you will say, this does not feel like good according to my purpose. So when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, and look, I know that not everyone has done that. Not everybody has submitted to Jesus and said, he is king and I'm not. But for all who have done that, he he didn't say, follow me, and I want to tell you every single thing that I'm doing all along the way. I'm going to show you the why. He doesn't say that. But what, what we do know is that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And, and I know that this comes with some difficulty and some confusion and kind of some mind melting, but it doesn't stop there. And this takes us into the second point. God is sovereign throughout history. It's easy to think that he just sets things in flight and just sits back. But he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Since the beginning, he holds all things together. He's not passive. He's not just setting history in motion and planning to show up at the end just to wrap things up and to see how things panned out in his absence. Now, he's the God of sovereign rule. Maybe you've heard of the, the idea of the butterfly effect. And, and uh, you know, our kids... My kids have asked me about that. Hey, have you heard about this? And, and it's the idea that, that one thing can change many things, that, that even something so simple as, as a butterfly flapping its wings can, can cause repercussions that change what happens on the other side of the world. Can that happen? I, I, I don't know. It's not for me to figure out. But, but time travel movies, they usually account for this. And then like classic films like Back to the Future, they, they talk about this like the, disrupt, the, the disruption of the space-time continuum, right? That if you do one thing that, oh, you, like your life will not be the same and, and everything will change, all right? And they play off of that in lots of ways. And I love just for a second, if I'm being honest, I love just kind of letting my mind go there for a minute. You know, like... What if, what if that wouldn't have happened? What if I wouldn't have done that? Then, oh gosh, you know, and, and that can be really destructive if you get caught up in that, or it can be kind of like fun just to think, man, I wonder what, if that conversation wouldn't happen, then, then I wouldn't be, and all, and all those things. And so this week, I had the privilege of talking to a woman born in the 1920s, maybe 30s, I think it's 30s, um, and she told me of a time when she was 17 years old. And she was walking with her, her friend, and they were coming home from the picture show, right? Um, and they were in Brookville, Indiana. And, and they saw a couple guys, and, and the, the guys were running around town or whatever, and they, they, they basically ran into each other on the sidewalk. They didn't know each other. Their circles kind of didn't align, but, but they chatted and they interacted. And, and one thing led to another. And before, frog gigging. Or frog gigging. Now look, I have to tell you this. That could mean something really bad, and I'm just not aware of it. In my mind, it had something to do with frogs. All right, but if I'm speaking out of turn, I, I, I'm 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 picturing uh, catching frogs. Does that sound right, somebody? Okay, all right. 
So that was their first date. They, they went frog gigging, right? And, and one chance meeting on the streets of Brookville led to their relationship and to uh, ultimately a marriage, and from that marriage, a family and kids, and, and those two were my nan and my pap. And, and my pap, he's not been around for the last few years, but, but I, I was thinking about all this, and I called her just, just to ask her, like, can you tell me? Because I don't know that story. I don't know how you and pap met. And so one... Sidebar, those who have lived a lot of life have things to share that I think can help us understand where we come from a little better. So just, I know if you're young, right, then you're arrogant, you're not going to ask an older person anything, but you should try that. Uh, And if you're an older person that has a lot to share, man, by all means, let someone hear it, all right? So, So end sidebar. Um. Because of this chance meeting, they got together. My mom was uh, a result of, you know, them uh, dating and, and frog gigging and all of those things. And, and my mom went on to have a family, and, and she met my dad in some weird scenario and all those things. And you get where this is going, and, and I have a story, and, and I come along, and, and you know, I, as the story goes, Mr. Jackson changed our assigned seats in science class, and and uh, Kim got a perm, and there was just lots of things in there. <laughs> lots of things in there that, that made Kim and I work, and then, then we have kids, and all those things, right? You take one thing out of that, does the whole different direction, would any of the, I don't know, but, but here's what we do know, that, that God has sovereign rule over history. And we see these things working out, and you can apply that to yourself for sure. And, and when you look at the, the in, eternity past and, and the infinite things that would, that would get us all in this room today. Literally infinite number of combination that would get all of us in this room today. And, and you right where you are in the, the life that you get to live. And you can easily think, oh gosh, you just stumbled into those things. But, but what I think the scripture teaches that, that God is sovereign over all of history. Right? And I know that brings mind-melting conundrums into us, but we see the outworkings in daily life. Uh, famously in the Proverbs 16, 9, the heart plans, uh, the heart of man plans his way. We get to do that. We get to plan and we get to make plans with our hands, but the Lord establishes his steps. Okay. That's why when we pray, we submit our prayers to the Lord. God, if it, if it, if it be your desire, would you lead me to do these things because you know all things, and guess what? I, I don't. And then, then we see God's sovereign rule, not just in individuals, but, but work throughout history. In the, in the Old Testament, kings and kingdoms, and, and throughout all of history, the kingdoms of the earth, through conquering and judgment, and, and today we trust the same through the gift that we have in this country to, to vote and through elections and all governance, and that can freak us out. Who wins elections and, and who overthrows governments and, and who enacts justice? The Lord does. We talk about in the class uh, last week and this morning at 9 o'clock, we're talking about politics and in this class, indivisible, you're all welcome to show up to that next week. Um, but but we just we talk about man, man, what's at stake and what's going on, and, and it's so easy to think that like in November life is either over or it's like uh, victorious. Gosh, God, God's rule and His reign it, it, it's not going to hiccup 
if your guy or their guy or your man or your woman or whatever takes the office in this tiny country that's been around for a blip. God's ruling and reigning over all things. But we see this powerful verse in Proverbs 21. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. And he turns it wherever he will. Man, it's not just insignificant me. It's the kings of the earth, the most powerful rulers that this earth has to offer. And God, you know, like if you're in a pool, you see people like squirt water like that. That's what, that's what the Lord, this world can offer. There's streams of water in his hand. He turns them wherever he will. So this truth of God's active hand, it, it should not bring about anxiety. And it should not send us off into to what ifs and, and how comes and all those things. But it should, if, if God is who he claims to be, bring about a peace that surpasses all understanding. Peace that we get to embrace, that we get to walk in, that we get to engage and that we get to build alongside by the power of God. And if those truths aren't humbling or mind melting or God magnifying enough, the extent of his reign doesn't stop with mere creation and human history. But what we read in the scriptures is that before the foundation of the world, God set out to save his people, to be his own, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for his glory, for their joy, for all eternity. And that takes us to the third point. That God is sovereign in salvation. Jesus didn't come and, and live and die and resurrect and, and rule and reign for the chance that his people might be saved. If Jesus died for the chance that sinners would choose him, none would be saved. He came so that they would be saved. And there is no sweeter joy to delight in than in his grace and under no compulsion to save a single heart. And he awakens eyes to present realities and he breathes faith in us to embrace him as our saving grace. And he saves us from ourselves and from sin and from death and from wrath and judgment and hell and we see this in lots of places in the scripture, but none more clearly than in Ephesians 1. And look, we could take all day to talk about this. But we won't. Trust your community group. Raise your hand. Nobody's claiming that today. That's cool. Okay. All right. Hanauer, you got this? You good? All right. Cool. Everybody go to Hanauer's group this week. Ephesians 1, in him we have, we have obtained an inheritance. Kind of weird because he's saying in, in Jesus, we've already got something that's yet to come. <laughs> and then he goes on, this inheritance being our future uh, glory with the Lord. Our inheritance is, is, 
eternal life with him. If uh, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, that means determined in advance by divine will. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Question, who's that? Who that? It's no one in this room. It's no one who sits on an earthly throne. It's no one who, who, who ever will sit on an earthly throne. So I, I will read this again. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the perfect purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And so Paul's saying, so that, so that we get to, to be a part of this. And then in verse 13, in him you also, who? You also, when you heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. And when you believed in him, when, when that happened, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee of what? What is the guarantee? The seal of the Holy Spirit. That's God's work in us that seals us. Who is the guarantee of what? Of our inheritance. Until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So, so he says this weird thing. That we already have this thing that we don't yet have. And we already have it because God has been doing work for eternity past to bring it so. And it's a done deal. And the thing that makes it a done deal is, is the seal, you think hot wax, uh, a royal uh, ring. It's the seal of the Holy Spirit on your life for all who have responded, have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. What a gift. The rightful king rules and reigns over all things, all the time, for all time. What, what Charles Spurgeon says, he says, there's no attribute of God more comforting to his children than the doctrine of divine sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe troubles, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions. You hear that? And you say, no, nope. We see this interaction with Jesus. He comes up to a blind man, and his disciples say, Hey, Lord, uh, who sinned, his parents, or was it him to make him blind? Neither. He was blind so that I might be glorified today. And I know. You're like, wait, hope. So. They believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them, and that sovereignty will sanctify. That means that will conform us to the image of Jesus, will sanctify them all. There is nothing for which the children of God ought more earnestly to contend than the dominion of their master over all creation. I was uh, ordained as a pastor a long time ago. It's like 20-something. 
in a, in a Baptist church. And the way that ordination went down was I had been on staff there for a little bit of time. And, and they said, hey, we're going to make you a pastor. And I was like, oh, okay. And they said, you have to show up to this thing. And you can invite your family and stuff. And I was like, okay, that's, that's fair. And so I invited my family and some friends. And, and there's going to be this thing it's on a Sunday evening. And then they're like, okay, so, but we're going to ask you these questions beforehand, like 30 minutes beforehand. And based, you know, hopefully that goes well. And then, like, you see, like, that's kind of a weird uh, assumption, right? But what if it doesn't go well? Like, sorry, the wedding's canceled. Everyone go home, right? Um, but it worked out well, I, I think. But, but in that, and I'm young and insecure and just, what are they going to ask me? Like, I have no idea. I'm, I'm not the smartest or I'm not what, whatever, and one guy said, he knew my background, he knew my church background, and I, was, I was, uh, became a Christian in the, uh, a hyper-charismatic church, and, and the way that God's salvation showed up in the way that it was like um, God's grace saves us and our works sustain us. And, and so he, he knew that, and, and everyone in the room knew that, all these other pastors that were asking me uh, questions, and he said this. He said, Michael, true or false? I love true or false questions. He said, God is 100% responsible for salvation. And I remember like, if it were a movie, like I looked out the window and I'm like watching a bird, you know, sit on a fence and I'm like, uh, sweat. And I said, yes, true. It, it frightens me. It makes me feel uncomfortable. But yeah, that's true. And he said, well, good. He said, I know you're fearful of that right now, but I hope that in time, it will be your greatest delight and your highest hope. And today... And, and I, I know that, that there is so much unsaid and confusion and what does this mean? Does this, you know, I've asked all the what ifs and, and processed this with others and, and worked it out in, in the scriptures and would love to chat about all those things. But, but today it's not only my greatest delight and my highest hope, but it's, but it's my only hope. And it's, and it's our only hope that God sets out to save his own he didn't set out to, to give a chance that, that we might call upon his name. When, when sinners find new life in Christ, it's, it's not the, the treasure that they've sought, but, but it's the treasure who has sought. And it's the, the fruition of God's initiative in eternity past. And it's the work of the Spirit to give spiritual eyes to mere humans, to awaken dead hearts to life, to reveal man's state and only hope to give faith to the faithless. It is God's sovereign will to make a people of his own. And the response that we get to do, no matter where that finds us, and no matter what the undercurrent is, no matter where it finds you today, is you get to say, yes, I don't understand how I got here. And my only hope is that I need the grace of Jesus in my life for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life before God the Father and all of his people. And we get to say, yes, I trust that, I believe that, or, or not today. 
there's this book called Proof by a guy named Daniel Montgomery, and, and he, he takes these concepts, and, and he, he, it was super helpful when I read this years ago, and, and he says, so we convince ourselves that salvation is like a divine life preserver that, that uh, drowning sinners must choose to grasp, and you've probably heard illustrations like that. Or perhaps we depict our rescue from sin as a pole in which God has cast his, his vote, and Satan has cast his vote, and it all comes down to you. Well, he says, either way, the ones who make the choice to kickstart God's rescue effort, uh, God has done his part, now it's, it's on us. We're the ones that kickstart God's rescue effort. And this is what he says. He said, there's a serious snag in this line of thinking. If God waited to give the gift of salvation until one of us made the right response, we would all be damned. That's because left to ourselves, as the scripture teaches, none of us will ever desire what Jesus requires. We were dead in our sins. We were not treading water and waiting for for Jesus in a cosmic popularity contest. We were dead. And when God rescued us, we weren't choking on the waves or waiting our turn at a heavenly polling station. He says we were deceased in a dung heap of transgressions and sins. There are no voting machines and caskets. And corpses have never responded well when asked to grab life preservers. So here's the question. Do you love that? Do you trust God alone? Do you submit to him as the the one and only divine sovereign king? Or do you find yourself a more fit, competent, kind, good ruler, reigner, and king? Look, I know that we we put all this together. We have the opportunity for uh, for delight, for great delight. and, And we have real questions that follow. That God orchestrates all. And at the same time, this world is broken Jen Wilkins, she helps clarify. She, she, says, she says this, we get to acknowledge paradox and we get to act practically. Because God controls all things, he can ultimately work all things for our good, even those things that others mean for evil. Theologians speak of this as his active will and his passive will. He works actively through our obedience, but he can also work passively through disobedience, as in the case of Joseph and his brothers. And Joseph, at the end of the story in the scripture, he recognizes that although his brothers meant harm, God used it for good. Though God controls all things, still accountable for their sinful choices. Well, how can this be? How can we be responsible for our choices if God is sovereign? Isn't that the question that you've been asking All along. Divine sovereignty and human responsibility, they are are parallel truths that we must hold simultaneously. And we see them both play out in the scriptures. The Bible consistently affirms God's total said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws me, says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Man, the band can come on up. So whenever we talk of divine sovereignty, what we get to do is we get to have humble hearts. We get to be extremely humble. We get to understand that, that God's will is, is not worked out in a silo. That, that we are not fatalist saying, well, every, whatever, be, whatever will be, will be. And so I just get to sit back and, and let it happen. That, that's not the way that God works. In fact, he invites us. It's through his people. He uses us to rule and reign. And so it's through his people that we joyfully believe and that we boldly build through prayer through seeking truth, through proclaiming the best news the world has known to lost and dying sinners and reminding those who believe uh, of what is true. For, for those who are already a part of God's family, we get to remind one another that God holds all things together because of his attributes, because he is the rightful king who rules and reigns over all things all the time for all time. We get to, we get to do these three things things we get to submit to the sovereign rule of the one true god of creation we get to seek get to trust where his will is not revealed and we get to join his good work in all that we do so we get to respond today we get to trust him all the more because he is sovereign in all that he does we can respond you can sit right where you are you can stand up and sing with the band as they lead us. You can go over to that prayer bench over there by yourself. You can go back to that red tree. Someone would love to pray with you about anything that you want to cast before the Lord because he cares for you. And we get to respond this morning for those who are in Christ by taking communion, remembering and declaring that his body was broken, that his blood was spilled for us by taking communion. Father, thank you for your word, for these people that you are gracious in all of your ways, and that, that you act in ways that we don't understand. But one thing we can trust at the end of the day is, is that, that you are the rightful one ruling and reigning for all time in all times. God, we love you and we need you in Jesus' name. Amen.